Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Man, okay, okay. Bringing his usual zest and enthusiasm to kick off the show. All the wishes also with us is the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Okay, man. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. We tried to have a lot of joy earlier when we were going to kick off the show, but then we had a like a Christian focus group, and they decided joy and dancing and happiness is not the way to come in with the Christian crowd. Totally. Yeah, we 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 posted something of us having joy on Facebook, and people just told us why it was sinful. So wow. <laughs> now we're now we're just not doing that. And speaking of such things. I must declare a very sad emergency. Speaking of trying to kick off with joy, um, gentlemen, I, I know you're as devastated as I am to know that TikTok is in trouble. Not TikTok. Well, it, it, I, I almost know what that is. TikTok, a thing is uh, white males <laughs> all over the age of 30. We totally know what it is and have not <laughs> had to scroll uh, people posting TikToks on Twitter to try to understand what's going on. I will, I will say this, Matt. This morning, I literally, I walked into the living room holding a cup of coffee, and my 16-year-old daughter looks up at me from the couch from her phone and says, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. He's getting rid of TikTok. I'm out of here. Wow. Lots Full of rage. rage. Lots of early morning rage. Okay. Well, let me just add to that that um, I actually the, this morning, you know, I got the news app on my phone and I kind of that was a woke up. Ro- yeah, yeah, yeah. Woke up and kind of rolled over and you know, so let's see how the world's doing. And um, I I misread it as potential ban on Tic Tacs. Uh-huh. And I I was outraged. Who would freshen <laughs> our breath immediately now, Glenn? That's right. That this sounds like a plot. Well, you say that, but would we be shocked if in the next, let's call it two or three years, there was a uh someone running for office in one of the major political parties, I won't say which one, um, whose whole thing was I'm so against taxes, I'm even against tick taxes. Oh, oh wow. and just it's him shooting a high-powered rifle at like a thing of Tic Tacs, the red ones, <laughs> yeah. of course. Yeah, I, I think we we all have a picture of the guy who's pro halitosis <laughs> and how he might vote. That's a, it's just it's a freedom issue. Sure. You know, I got I I got freedom to have this stanky stanky breath. There's a few things. First of all, we all know the orange Tic Tacs are the best Tic Tacs. That is a fact. The next thing is they will take my orange Tic Tacs when they pry them from my cold, dead fingers. The thing about Jed is that he's going to, he not only do they freshen his breath, but he's able to, in a pinch, use them in the recording studio as a percussive element, a little shaker. This is what I'm talking about, man. It's better to have Tic Tacs and not need them than to need Tic Tacs and not have them. (laughs) You know, ironically, to turn this this back from Tic Tac to Tic Tac, if you made a sculpture of the uh, unnamed him in Lee's story there about he's shutting down Tic Tac, I'm I'm out, and made it out of orange Tic Tacs, it would be about the right color. (laughs) I'm not saying someone should do that, but, you know, if you have a lot of free time, as you all do have, and a sculptor's eye, go for it. 
Yes, we we commission artwork here on the uh, Say That podcast, and that the you know what if you um, if you sculpt a Tic Tac president, um, any Say That swag you want, it's yours. So I I think we can. We definitely authorize that. The second thing is, I'm not a terribly political person, but there's a lot of TikTok based joy in my home. Um, perhaps from the the person in the home that is not me. And the yes, bird. it's the bird. The bird and, loves TikTok. And if if that joy is removed, I'm afraid this aggression will not stand, gentlemen. Hey, come on now. That's exactly right. Entirely fair. I will add to that. Um, I was walking through a park here around where we live uh, recently. And there were like uh, clusters of teenage age children all doing different dances. Okay. And it took me walking all the way through to look at the situation with the phones and realize they were all doing different TikTok dances uh-huh. trying to film each other doing them. And you know what? Mm. That's a lovely world to live in. But yes. uh, TikTok is under attack, which is a harder thing to say than I thought it was <laughs> when I started that sentence. But the, the Kent Brockman-esque headline would be TikTok under attack. But that got me thinking with the maybe an opening in the app market, because if you mm. heard the last episode of the Say That Podcast, and if, if this is your first uh, episode, welcome. It's not going to get better. So <laughs> right. if, you're, if you're down so far, that's great. But if you're like, maybe they kick it in in minute 10. Nope. Nope, um, that's it. But here's the thing we were mentioning with the DC Talk. We talked about the, uh, the smash hit, I Don't Want It. That's right, listener. That was a real thing we made you think about. That wasn't a fever dream. That happened. A Grammy winner. Grammy winning album. An award statue. Oh, it's a Grammy toss. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Uh, we Jed mentioned a relic from an, a previous era of Christian media where you would go into the Christian bookstore and there would be a chart that said, if you like this secular band, here is its non-union Christian equivalent. <laughs> And I'm thinking we we had that with music. We kind of have that with uh, with streaming stuff and movies. You know, there's Kirk Cameron movies. There's Pure Flicks. There are people trying to trying to pull that off. You know, like it's a it's an action movie, but it's Christian based. But I'm wondering with TikTok leaving the uh, the space, and as Lee has given us the market research, the people clearly love it. Is it time to launch the Christian alternative? What Ooh. would Christian TikTok look like? We're always oh. after that sweet sweet app based cash. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think that's a it's a great idea because what it is is you you you, people can't know that it's a bad imitation if they don't know what it is in the first place. (laughs) There you go. That's (laughs) real business talk right there. The old people will look at it and say, "This is a fantastic invention I've never seen before." That's a really good point, Glenn, because that means that all of the even if we didn't, even if we launched our app without us being middle-aged white guys, we didn't even know what the app actually was. All the homeschool Christian kids wouldn't know that we were off the mark at all, right? Because surely go. they have not had access to this in any way. Right. Well, the the first thing that we need, you always need with any kind of app, is you need a killer name. Okay. Now, if we're going for the full kind of stitched on a sample, and please, uh, listener, picture this in the TikTok font. Because it scans the same way. What about mm, his flock? Mm, his flock, his yeah. Because it's all videos of Christians, you understand? <laughs> That's right. That's very good. Really modest dances to really wholesome songs, Matthew. That's right. So, so very many denim skirts. 
ankle length uh, and longer. (laughs) Uh, Here's my question is, is there anything on his flock other than bell choir videos? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Just a big thing on the homepage. There's nothing but handbell choir. You know, this is unnecessarily mean, but it's a real-life anecdote. Um, Several years ago, I met with a a church uh, leader in uh, suburban Chicago. We were working on something with them. And they were the youth leader of a very nice church, a very nice gal. And I asked her, well, what kind of, you know, what kind of youth programs do you have? We were trying to help them out with some media stuff. And they said, well, the thing that really gets them coming in is the handbell choir. They're very excited mm. about that. And it's one of those things of like, either you're lying, which is fine, because we've all had that <laughs> job where you yeah. just got to tell yourself something, or I don't want to meet these children. That's right. <laughs> but so there's certainly an entire genre of handbell choir. That's for sure. Well, I think the only reason Glenn's going to download the app is if there's actually like a, a page where you can see some videos where people are using puppets. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, puppet yeah. ministry corner. Glenn, That's for Glenn sure. Glenn wants to see the puppet ministry Bible storytelling. Oh, yeah. I think I think you're you're also passing up the golden opportunity to have an entire section of this app. Devoted to clown ministry. Oh. Yes. Yes. Because that's not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's called. That's the byline of the His Flock app. Yes. His yes. That's not creepy at all. It's not creepy <laughs> at all. You know what sick children love? Religious-themed clowns. <laughs> well, clown ministry, putting the it in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that you know nicely done sir i feel Thank like you. they're out of uh out of stephen king novels to adapt about it but if that was the plot of it three i would go <laughs> every day <laughs> you just pan across a bunch of normal christian clowns juggling with frankincense whatever they do and then it's just it <laughs> Pennywise. it's like uh, the, the other ones are sharing the gospel with the children Pennywise is luring them in to eat them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I ask a question that is his flock related, but it's really about that sweet, sweet cash? Sure. Yeah, please. Okay. So no idea if this is actually true or not, but, you know, one of the supposed complaints about TikTok is that uh, there's a lot of stealing user data and a lot of uncool stuff with that, right? Sure. Unlike other social media platforms. Totally. (laughs) No, no, no idea if that's true, you know, not offering any commentary on that, but I, I say it by as a way of setup of with his flock, obviously we are going to steal your information. Um, yeah, so, that's I mean, the main thing. That's the only thing it says in the user agreement. Obviously, <laughs> obviously we're going to steal your information. Click here. Your job is to submit, Jed. Exactly right. right. Exactly right. Obedience is a really important thing in the spiritual life, Jed. You know it is. So given that his flock is obedient, what are we doing with all that sweet, sweet user data? Who are we selling it to? How are we getting rich? Oh, this is is where we run into the the problem that there are only three extant Christian media companies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think the thing that would be the big moneymaker off that is we walk into the boardroom... With the you know your your Zondervan, your K Love, your whoever uh, you know still puts out Christian stuff, and we tell them we've got a, a trove of information about our user base, and they yawn and say yes, yeah, so do we, and we say that's under forty, and then they give us however much money we want. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, they don't even own sweaters. What? <laughs> Well, the thing I'm I'm wondering is, as I understand it, my understanding of 
TikTok is equally limited to my co-host, but as I understand it, it started out anyway as just like purely a lip syncing thing, I think. Okay. That was like the technology that would sync up, you know, you sync your performance and people do, but then started doing that like songs or dances. People do like act out scenes of like a movie or something. Okay. So I think this brings us to our best money-making idea so far, which is a version of his flock where pastors can do karaoke of very famous sermons. Oh, yeah. You know they want to. They'd love oh, that. Oh, yeah. Is this they the audio to. from the radio recordings of Mere Christianity, but it's him delivering it? Yeah. With, yeah. like, insert audience cutaways, and the more you pay, the more people are in yeah. the audience. Yeah. Can we get, like, a sepia filter on it? It's a nice, you know, black and white, with a little warmth to it. It's the oh. only filter available. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. The His Flock filters are none and plain. <laughs> Listen, before we move on, I'm I'm also down with doing a Christian version of Tic Tacs. Okay. You know, just put the scripture on the side of the Tic Tac. You got to get a magnifying glass out, but if you do, it's going to really minister to you. Absolutely. <laughs> it freshens your breath and your spirit. Whoa. That see, it just sells itself right there for you. Yeah. Now, yeah. unlike most of our emergency suggestions, this is does have actual real world utility because, as yeah. those of you longtime listeners may know, one of Glenn Fitzgerald's foundational ministry principles is no one wants to hear the gospel from someone with bad breath. That's that is <laughs> yeah. a thing I do say out loud before you head into that jailhouse. Go ahead and pop one of those tic tacs. The only problem with that suggestion is that thing already existed. And even though Matt said the Christian bookstore, he knows very well that in our hometown, where Matt and I are from, it was just the Christian store. Yeah, they that took was rough. book out of it. It was just where you, it was the store where you go to get your Christian equipment in order to be a Christian. And one of the things they had was a product they called Testaments. Mm. Dude, for real? Mm. Oh, that's a real. Thing. Oh yeah, that's a thing. That's uh... a thing. And on. The depressing, depressing note that once again, we have failed to out insane <laughs> actual Christian things from our youths. We will go ahead and declare emergency off. Halitosis is a basic human right, y'all. Don't Bold tread states. on me, Glenn. That's what I'm talking about. You know, in our socially distanced times, there are some of you who want to go to maybe a protest or a rally or express your, your right to assemble as an American which obviously we support and we, we hope you, if that's something that's on your heart, you'll do. If you, do, if you don't want people standing near you, holding a sign that says halitosis is a human right is a good way to get a six feet radius around you. It really oh. is. Just, you know, just a little tip from us to you. Yes, uh, so uh, we are going to transfer to the Bridgebox plug. And here's the thing about Bridgebox. You can't smell it. No. Like, it's just mm, recordings. You point. don't know. I mean, we tic-tac up before we record the stuff, but... Even if we didn't, you'll be totally inured from that. It's totally fine. It's just things on your email uh, that come to the first come the first of every month around a topic. We just put out our August 2020 edition, making eight solid years wow. of Bridgebox. Mm. That's right. The first of every month for eight years, except that one time I sent both emails to the same list and a bunch of people didn't get theirs until the third. But that only happened once, <laughs> which is pretty good, I think. If you want to head over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox and sign up for only $8 a month, a great way to support the show and the work we do and get some cool stuff for your own walk. 
Another awesome way to get involved is to head over to facebook.com slash thebridgechicago every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time for our live BridgeCast. And if you can't catch it live, wherever you live in the world, you can always catch the archived version at that same address, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. You know what's great about that, Matt, is that it's a way for everybody to live out personally the, the classic say that bit of time travel of listening or watching something in the future. Ooh. That's right. Ooh. Maybe future. put on a nice orange vest. Get your, your nice uh, white self-tying kicks. You have full Marty. Marty McFly cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to a time-shifted version of the live Bridgecast over at Facebook.com slash The Chicago. Now I just want to see Glenn saying, Great Scott. Like, <laughs> uh, holding Great his head. Scott. Yeah, little wisps of white hair going uh-huh. in the wind. Yeah. When this when this bridge cast hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious anyway. <laughs> We're going to jump to our first question here. Panelists, all the way to the end. I use some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. Our first question is actually our August bridge box topic. It says this. How do I change my mind? I know I need to think differently about some things in my life. And some days I even want to. But I don't know how. How do I actually change the way I think? That's a great question. There's a lot going on there. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, I think uh, one of the things we want to do as we start looking at this is a fancy word, uh, confirmation bias. Now, it's a simple concept behind the fancy word, which is you uh, and I and everyone else. We tend to develop ideas and theories and concepts. We have our take on things. And as we go out uh, consuming news or or conversations with our friends, we tend to ignore things that don't go along with that. And we tend to hold on to and amplify and really make note of things that confirm the beliefs that we already have. So that's confirmation bias. We're biased towards things that tend to confirm what we already believe. When that happens, it just feels like I'm right. How can I be wrong? Uh, And to other people looking at you, they're saying you're just ignoring a lot of things that would break down what you believe. So how can you feel confident when you're ignoring a lot of facts? So it's important for all of us to look at, do I have that confirmation bias going on? Can I really weigh these things out? Uh, am I open and flexible to have my take on things change? Uh, I think part of that might be giving, if you give your opinion less, I heard this on, uh, not this past week, but the week before's uh, a sermon um, out of Triple C in their mm-hmm. service. If you're not looking in that uh, on their live feed or checking it out afterwards on Facebook, you should definitely do that. Uh, but one of the things they were talking about is you're giving your opinion a lot. And the thing about giving your opinion a lot is then you kind of are stuck with it and you have to keep backing <laughs> it up. And then you start thinking, I I have to start creating opinions and um, a weird pressure takes place that I, you know, kind of like they were talking about on the podcast, you know, I or the broadcast, excuse me. You know, I have to be an expert in this when I'm not qualified right. to be an expert. There's a lot of pressure behind that. So uh, let's get away from all that, just fewer opinions, less that confirmation bias. Then we want to look at the kind of messages that you listen to and the things that 
are being put in front of you. I want to give you two quick examples, and I'll turn it over to these other fellows. Here's one type of message you need to always look out for. It's a message that says, you are under attack, but we are here to save you. Uh Mm. That is a recipe for pure manipulation. Uh, First of all, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how many times I sat in church and hearing them talk about, you know, these secular people just hate our values and the things we're doing. And I'm sitting there saying, no, dude, I think they just hate you, man. Those, those same people like me just fine, man. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, don't put me in this with you. But if you buy into that and you buy into that victim's mentality, you're really stuck in that. And then once you're once you sort of swallow the bait on that, then they switch it around and say, "But I'm here to back you up. I'm here to take care of you. I'm, you know, I'm in this. I'm being attacked, and I'm dealing with that in a way that protects you as well as myself. So you know, it's sort of like you owe me one, and sort of like you know, I'm the only one that cares for you, and whatever have you." Uh, you aren't being you aren't under attack your your culture your values aren't under attack people have their opinions they have their way of seeing things and might agree with you and might not uh but uh nobody's here to save you but Jesus Christ so let's mm. make sure that's clear okay so i think it's it's about going beyond those things and seeking god's face and say god all this talk i'm setting aside i want to hear what you have to say it's a really, really strong place to start that off. A lot of great stuff going on there. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because a lot of what Glenn is pointing to there is, and with the truth and the confirmation bias, is getting to a place where we have a proper understanding, but we have a role in how we start that process too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I love all those notes where uh, where Glenn was leading us. And I think there's, a, there's an individual uh, responsibility that, that I didn't hear much about when I was being brought up in the church, and it's something that it's something that um, I talk to our like our kids a lot about. When I say our kids, I mean me and Christy's three children that we we are raising. There are two. The four co-hosts of this podcast are not raising a child, though that would have been a good sitcom, sitcom premise from a previous episode. <laughs> My four really bizarre dads. Um. <laughs> uh. Yeah, there are there are two really terrifying uh, moments in the life of a modern parent um, that you know one of them my parents had to deal with and one of them my parents did not. Um, one of them is when you hand your child, and, and people do this at different times, but when you hand your child a a device that gives them a high speed access to the internet, that's a terrifying prospect. The other moment is when you hand them a set of car keys. That is a terrifying prospect. <laughs> these are these are moments where you're handing over uh some control and and it just leads in, in a conscientious parent, it leads to a very specific set of conversations. One of the things that um that I it was just it was just not a conversation that I was I was gifted uh in my household or in my youth group or in my church was uh, the conversation that I had with my oldest child when I handed her the, the, uh, the, the smartphone and when I handed her the car keys. And that was this. You've got a lot of decisions that are only going to be yours now. 
And here's the thing that I'm really asking of you. When you make a decision, I want you to be really um, aware after that's over and after it's played out and really honest about these kinds of questions. Did that work? Am I happy? Did that fill me up? Am I satisfied? Did it cost me joy or courage? Did I compromise my own dignity? Did I, uh, did I, did I compromise myself to preserve a friendship? How do I feel after that? And my, my conversation with my daughter was, I don't want, I, I, I don't want to be a person who controls every behavior you have from here on out. That was my job when you were two years old. That was my job when you were seven years old. Um, now that you're 16, what I want to do is to start to seed some of that, uh, of that control and that authority over into you. And the thing that I'm begging you to do is to be extremely honest on the back end of a decision that you make. Understand this. Whatever decision you make, if you, if you fly or you fall, you got a soft place to land at this house. We love you. You can come home. You are radically accepted. You're radically loved. The whole thing. You're not going to be judged. We understand the whole thing. I want you inside your own heart and mind to be excessively honest about whether or not that party was as lit as everybody said it was, whether or not that decision was as fun as everybody played it up to be, whether or not that relationship was as amazing as it was built up that it was going to be based on the conversation of you and your friends. In other words, when you were talking about changing our minds, we've got a prerequisite of personal honesty. Did that pay out or did it not pay out? Every decision that you make in your life on the front end is going to make promises to you. On the back end, can we look at that with a lot of clarity and with a lot of honesty, not judgment, not judgment, not guilt or shame, with a lot of honesty and say, did it pay out on its promise? I think when we give ourselves the permission to look at our situation with the question of, am I experiencing joy? Am I experiencing fulfillment? Am I experiencing abundant life? Or did that cost me some dignity? Did it cost me some courage? Did it cost me some relationships? Whatever, whatever then we're going to start to be able to make the kinds of decisions that, um, that lead to a, 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 the ability to change our mind in a healthy way. Um, a, an author that I really love was a guy that actually wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. 250 years ago, a lot of Christians were saying, we don't like the rational enlighten, enlightenment movement because some people in the rational enlightenment movement are moving away from the scriptures. And what this brother said was, I love the rational enlightenment question. I love that. I wish everybody had the ability to be honest and rational about the decision that I make. Did it lead to more life or less life? Uh, If I make a selfish decision, did that lead to more happiness or less happiness? If I decide to lay my life down and serve somebody, did that lead to more life or less life? And so that's the thing I would say is if we're looking at what's the practical way to go about changing our mind in a healthy way, changing our thinking in a healthy way, we've got to start with the place of honesty on the back end of a situation without guilt or shame. Can I be honest about how that paid out or did not pay out? That is all awesome stuff, including the rather uh, 
gut-punching realization that 250 years ago, a bunch of church folk got together and said, I don't care for rational or enlightenment. And <laughs> some things have not changed all that much. Jed, they didn't uh, like TikTok either. <laughs> nope. Oh, man, I'm picturing the, uh, the Elizabethan version of TikTok. There's a lot. I, it's too just, nerdy. It's just sitting and staring at clocks. Yeah, exactly. They were <laughs> they were blown away. Uh, all great stuff. And Jed, I, I really like to get you to pick up this really interesting point Lee is making there of in order to change your mind, you do need to, we're talking about changing your thought process, but maybe a good place to start in there is, are you engaging that thought process? And if so, how? Is that a fundamental question we need to look at here? Man, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think something I've I've come to realize is true in my own life, and I think it's true for a lot of people, is we don't think about the vast majority of things that we do at all. That's right. um, it's, it's not even that we don't think clearly about them or we don't think deeply about them. We just don't think about them at all. Um, we, we are on rails, man. We are so much the time we're acting out of habit. Uh, we're acting out of unexamined assumption. Um, we're, we're acting out of a fear and a worry that we're not really looking at so that, you know, thought is kind of manifest in choice. And I think it's, it's weird to say, but really true is that I think most of us make a lot fewer choices than we think we do. Um, we're presented with yeah. nearly infinite opportunity to make choices, but we're not really making the vast majority of them. We're just, we're just kind of always doing what we've always done. And if you want to see different results, which I imagine is the case, and I imagine it's why this question is being asked, and it's certainly the witness of Scripture, is that if you want to be transformed, that begins with changing the way that you think. Um then step one really would be thinking at all. And, you know, I, I think there's something embarrassing about admitting I've got this area of my life that I've just not been thinking through at all. I, I've, in an unexamined way, I've just been going along with what I was told a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago, and I've just, I've just been on that. There, there's something embarrassing about that. The good news is, no one has the right to look down on you that because literally everyone has done that in their lives. That's um, right. And if we're honest, we've all got some area where we're still doing that today. Uh, that's, you know, that's just kind of part of the, the human condition. And so if we want to, to do things differently, if we want to think differently and therefore make decisions differently, and I echo everything that all of these brothers have already said, um, I would say that we, we, can build to what they, the great advice they've already given by simply slowing down the process, slowing down the thinking process, slowing down the decision-making process. Um, we live in a world that is not only fast-paced, but way, way more fast-paced than it needs to be. Um, here, here's an interesting thing that people actually in the business world have studied semi-recently is that when people limit themselves to a choice between A and B, about half of the time they're not pleased with the choice that they made. But that when people take the extra time to envision option C, so now they're choosing between A or B or C, they are pleased with the outcome of their decision far more often. That's a really interesting thing, but the ingredient there is simply taking a bit of extra time. 
It's as simple as slowing down and refusing to only look at two options for the decision that you're about to make. The next part of it, which is going to relate back, is to question your assumptions. And that's a really, really good habit to get into, is to, is to do the thing that young children do naturally, which is ask why. And the first place to do that is to ask why you're in such a hurry to begin with. When you're trying to make a decision, why do we have to make this decision right now? Why do we have to make it in such a hurry that we only have the time to consider option A or option B? Why? There may be good reasons for that. You know, if you <laughs> if you work in an emergency room and they bring in someone from an ambulance, time is almost certainly a factor. But if that's not the case, why are we in a hurry? And as we as we look at the options, here's here's one to look out for is when we find something like, well, obviously we can't do X. I really want to encourage you to dig into why can't we do X? What is it about X that is simply unthinkable? Is it a sin? Is it something we don't have the money for? Is it something we don't have the time for? Or is it just something that we're not comfortable with? The more that we can slow down and the more that we can challenge ourselves to dig in and ask those why questions, I think the better results we're going to get and the more we're going to be able to put into place the really amazing advice that, that both Glenn and Lee have broken down on how to change the way that we think. And I'd add one more bonus thing that kind of goes with all of that, which is as you're slowing down and as you're questioning your assumptions, having someone who is in some ways a neutral third party that you can talk things through with is a really, really helpful thing. Someone who can help prompt you on, it seems like that might be an unexamined assumption. So if you're trying to make a decision, you can say, I think it could be A or it could be BB. It certainly couldn't be PDQ. Somebody can say, well, pause for a second. Explain to me why it couldn't be PDQ. Help, help me understand why it couldn't be that. That can be a really useful thing. That could be a therapist. That could be a counselor. Uh, that could be a preacher if it's one that you trust and you have a good relationship with. But having someone to help kind of interrupt the the instant decision process and help you you know kind of think out loud about things can really really help but here's the key thing that I want to land on is you can change the way you think you don't have to always do the things you've always done you don't have to think always think the way you always have you can change the way you think and as you learn to do that it really will change your life that is all fantastic stuff from Jed and from all these guys uh the one thing I'd add on the end here to build on what Jed's saying there and it's a core concept. We talk about a lot in the show about how it's a thing that instantly makes your, your life better. And it certainly comes in changing your mind. And that's the concept of humility. Yes. And a lot of what yeah. Jed is describing there with the slowing down is an act of humility. Um, there's actually probably no less humble thought than thinking you don't need to think about something before you react. Just that idea of I receive this stimulus or somebody says this thing and I just click into that automatic decision tree. I know how to do that. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, taking that time to slow down, to think about things, it really is a humble act. And as always happens with humility, the earlier you can inject that into the process, the better results you're going to have. All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, What do you think about some of these churches opening up to full services and the pastors citing, quote, faith and obedience, unquote? Uh, yeah. Yes, you'll all get your turn, and I'm preparing my editing finger 
to do its darndest. So let her fly. But Lee, let's start off with you because as much as we up here in Chicago do work with a lot of churches and talk to a lot of pastors, we aren't actually in that job and you're a pastor and an elder. So what's your take on this whole situation? Well, I can tell you that as somebody who has had to sit in meetings where we've made these decisions, um, and and by the way, in a in a city and a county where a lot of other churches um, alongside us are taking a completely different route than the church where I work and pastor and uh, and lead, um, our heart has been this. Simply put, that love indicates that all of the people who believe in Jesus right now do whatever we can to protect our most vulnerable members of society. That involves listening to the recommendations of of scientists, of experts, of physicians. And 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 the, the crazy thing is, uh, the place where I live, a lot of churches kind of shut down for a little while, and then they were like, all right, we're all we all have fatigue of that. We miss everybody. And and let me say this. Everybody misses everybody, okay? So there's, you know, churches that are not meeting in person, that doesn't mean we don't miss everybody. Everybody misses everybody. But when the fatigue took hold, it was like everybody decided, uh, we're, we're going to jump back in and just start meeting together. And where I live, all of the numbers of the coronavirus completely spiked insanely, like within, mm. within the period of three or four weeks. And literally, the, the findings that came out from scientists and experts and physicians were... The problem in in my state where I live is churches, especially large churches, deciding to meet together in person, period, the end. That was the mm. biggest single factor uh, leading to the, the continued and increased spread of the virus. Um, it's one, it remains in this country one of the biggest problems leading to the continued st- spread of the virus. And here's my thing on this. Not only does love indicate that we do whatever we can to protect the most vulnerable members of society, but saying that this is a, an issue of, of faith versus fear is a completely misplaced argument. It is a completely deflected thing off of the fact that our number one duty is to love people. Our number one duty is to take care of people and to love people. Now, when you look at that, you're saying, well, we have a message we have a, the message of Jesus, and we want to encourage people, and we want to reach people, and we want to make sure that people are healthy in their walk with the Lord. We, uh, the Apostle Paul says, you know, I make it my goal to present everyone mature in Christ. And what, where a lot of churches get stuck is they say, well, the only way we can do that is if we meet in person in our church building. The issue and the problem there is what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to now find an innovative and creative way to reach people with the message of Christ. Mm. We're supposed to get creative. We're supposed to get innovative. In the New Testament, what you see when you read through there is you see tons of outreach, you see tons of love, you see tons of service, and you see tons of preaching and missionary activity, all of it, but you don't see one gigantic church building. Not one. (laughs) It's not in the book. That's something we invented later, and we started raking in a lot of, 
Well, I say we. Some people started raking in lots of money based on those things. And we and that I don't know, Glenn, Jed, Matt, that may be a factor here. What? In we have to keep decision making. We have to keep oh. a uh, we have to keep a castle going that we built uh, mm. because we thought it was cool. Here's the thing: throughout the history of the church, the the church has thrived when its members were um, poor, persecuted, on the outskirts, marginalized people who had a courageous and beautiful faith that stood up against everything else and came up with innovative, creative ways to meet and encourage people. Literally holes in the ground, like caves under cities, like like uh, sewage systems where they had churches. And now what we're doing is we found, uh, we, we have, we found ways to create uh, video services that are reaching people that we never would have even reached. This is really interesting, and I can say this based on uh, what we're finding at, at Christ Community. We're not having anything like the views that the, that the bridge is having, but I can tell you this. Um, when you, at the end of the week, by about Friday, like if our, our service goes live on Sunday, by about Friday, if you look at the combined views of the people that are watching on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, you combine that together. And then if you adjust for the idea that the fact that some people per one view is like six people in a home and some people it might be, you know, a single person or a couple of, or, you know, a, you know, a married couple without kids or something like that. What we're having is about five or six times the number of human beings that could fit inside our building. First of all, hmm. number two we are taking segments from that service that we're creating, putting them together on a DVD, specifically for the inmates that we reach in our prison ministry, and we are sending that into the largest state prison in the state of Tennessee. And we have found out we're the only church that is producing <laughs> a weekly service for the prisoners in the largest state prison in the state of Tennessee, mm. and which is really, really cool when you consider the fact that when we would go into the the prison chapel, and I and I know my brothers uh, on this podcast have thought of this this process, this part of this as well. But if they watch it in and their celly happened to have a TV and it comes up on the TV network, they could watch it and they could hear the gospel. We are reaching more people than we've ever reached in the entire history of this church, and it's because we said, but because of love. We are not going to meet together in person because that's what love does. Love protects the most vulnerable. And as a bonus, we are now reaching five, six times more people than we ever have and more prisoners than we ever dreamed we could. And that's our role. The role is to start with love. What does love do in this situation? and not be afraid of what would it mean if we don't mean meet together in person. That's where the fear piece comes into this, is that we have to not be afraid to ask, what does it mean if we don't meet together in person? All wonderful stuff. Um, two things that happened there that I want to make sure we, we don't skip over. One is that Lee uh, apparently compared uh, Facebook to the sewer underneath an ancient city, and that is an extremely fair and accurate observation. The other one is that he implied that uh, very large churches run on incredibly tight margins and almost are always on the brink of going broke, and I personally find that offensive. 
and just wanted to get <laughs> on the record there. But all great mm. stuff from, from from Lee there. And Jed, love you to pick us up at this point because. In a weird way, exactly what we're talking about here, where Lee left us, ties back to the previous question. Yeah. In the sense of uh, a thought process, asking, interrogating a thought process, because it sounds like if I'm taking Lee's just out of nowhere assumption that some of this may be motivated by uh, having to meet a budget and also <laughs> uh, people in in charge just being kind of bored and out of ideas of how to not do a big yeah. larger meeting. Um, it sounds like, and I don't want to cast this version here, someone may have decided that they're just going to do this bad idea and then just thrown the words faith and obedience on top of it in the hopes that no one would ask, well, what does this have to do with faith and obedience? Yeah. Maybe that's the operative question. I think it's an excellent question. Let's let's dig into that. So faith and obedience. Here's the interesting thing about both of those words is they both need a broader context that has not been in any way supplied. So what I mean is obedience to what? And mm. faith in what? Okay. Like, obedience is not something one does in an abstract. You know, you're obedient in that an authority figure has given you a command, and then you follow it, right? So if you're if you're in the army, you're not just generically obedient to your commanding officer— you're obedient to a specific order from your commanding officer. That's that's how obedience works. So the first question would be, what exactly are we being called to obey here? The, the best that I think we could come up with is that there's a, a passage in the New Testament that, that says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, there's a few things about that. The first is, that was said in the context of house churches, uh, not large megachurch gatherings. Um, the second is the point of that instruction was entirely about encouraging one another, which means if you're going to a gathering where you're not encouraging anyone and you're not getting encouraged, we're not really satisfying that verse anyway. And then the third is, given that the point was encouragement, and again, mutual encouragement, if we're able to do that via a Skype connection or a Zoom call or a Facebook live stream, then we've fully fulfilled the spirit of that commandment, and we Amen. have been obedient. So that would be the obedience piece, which again, that's a good one to slow down and ask why a lot on. Now let's look at faith. Faith, very loosely, is a supernatural strength that God gives us in order to believe the promises that God has made to us. That is what faith is. Let me repeat that. Very loosely, faith is a supernatural strength that God gives us in order to believe the promises that God has made to us. The question then is, what promise are we referring to here? God has promised, never will I leave you or forsake you. We want to have faith to believe that promise. God has promised, I have gone to prepare a place for you. We want to believe that promise. God has not promised, if you go to church physically during a pandemic, you won't get sick. God has not promised that. Therefore, faith would not come into play in believing that. That would just be wishful thinking. You should, you should take a second and stop and think about that. Amen. God has... God has promised, I will always love you, and I will always forgive you. It takes faith to believe that. God has not promised, you will win the lottery and have a million dollars. Therefore, faith has nothing to do with that. That would be wishful thinking. So, 
what this church is actually saying to you is you should just do what we want, and we're calling that obedience. And if you have a concern about the thing that we want, that's because you lack in faith, even though faith has nothing to do with it. That's <laughs> that's what we're actually dealing with. The The thing that's worth looking at, if you can dig it, is that people who would abuse the concept of faith and obedience probably don't deserve to have you in their church, whether there's a pandemic or not. Those are pretty foundational concepts to the Christian faith. And so we have one of two options. The first is they don't know what those words mean. And so although they're misusing them, it's, you know, it's not like an intentional thing. They just are completely clueless, in which case that's cool, but I'm not going to come to your church because you, you clearly don't understand basic concepts about Christianity, and that's okay. The second option is they do know what those words mean. They know they're misusing them, and they're giving themselves permission to do that, in which case, buddy, I'm afraid your church might get struck by lightning, so I'm definitely for (laughs) sure not coming to your church because I'm concerned. Either way, I'm not coming to your church. Holy cow, bro. Yes, all of that. Very fantastic. You do have to be on the lookout for the old lightning strike. That's just always a concern. And uh, a lot of great stuff from these guys, Glenn. Where would we close this discussion out? Well, I, I totally agree with everything that Jeff was saying there. You, you have to know the truth of what it is that God wants you to do before you can be obedient to obey that truth uh, or to be faithful to follow through with it. So um, I need to know what it is God wants me to do. I don't get that from a pastor. I, I get that from him directly. So um, that doesn't work. I, I, I don't think it's a healthy thing to be in a church that says having faith is good, and I think you should have faith in the, the power of God to heal you from doing something stupid, so you should have faith that you could come to church and that would be fine. I, I don't think there's a—I mean, listen, let me just put it to you this way. I'm not going to let someone else tell me when I need to be faithful. You can talk to me about how you're being faithful and invite me to join you in that, but uh, when it's my life on the line— I think that's going to be between me and my maker. You're you're not really going to have a vote in that. Um, also, I have a problem. These guys were mentioning money, and you know, maybe it's just the Holy Spirit moving on all of our hearts, or maybe it's because we actually know exactly what's going on in a lot of these <laughs> churches. But money has a lot to do with this. Now, mm. uh, we I want to know why is it that faith comes up when. It's one of these dudes talking about my money. Mm. Uh, they, you can have faith with your money. Don't have faith with my money. That's a different kind of animal here. Uh, there's a, a, a certain amount of uh, time that I spend risking my life, and so do the other fellows in this podcast. Sometimes we're in dangerous places. Being behind barns is, a, is much more dangerous, actually, than the streets that we operate on in many ways. And... Uh, the thing is, we do that by faith. We believe that God is calling us to that. We believe that God will protect us on that. I would never in my life tell somebody else they just needed to have faith and just do it. You know, that's that's a personal decision. But I'm having faith all over the place, and I don't look up and see these guys trying to move me out of the way uh, while well, they're you know just having all kinds of faith on all kinds of things. If you got a lot of money in a big building and whatever else. 
you don't know what faith is all about, dude, because mm. you're not, you're not using any. Everything's already unfolding in front of you. You're, you're not making hard choices and, and putting things at risk. So uh, I I just again I'm just not going to take your testimony on that. But here's let's really talk bottom lines here. Make no mistake, some of these churches are really worried about you deciding that you can live without them. That's it. You 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 started uh, you know staying home and sheltering in place and whatever, and they are worried that you are sitting at home saying, yeah, you know. I don't really miss it. And the thing is, if they don't really miss it, it's the wrong thing to to try to tell them (laughs) they need to risk their life to get something that they actually don't miss because it wasn't that great. Say that, man. If they're missing it and they decide I'm going to, you know, take some extreme chance off of that, that that might be something. But, you know, if you have to convince them to risk their life for something that they're already deciding they can live without, this entire thing has really come off the rails. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, look, if you could wave a magic wand and I could go back to doing in-person meetings, I would do that right now today. And if it was just me, if it was only my life at risk, we'd be doing those meetings as we speak. I mean, it wouldn't be Period. a question about it. So it's not a case of not wanting to do it or or, or me being afraid for my own safety, but it's a, it's a matter of looking at these situations and recognizing exactly as Lee said that that God is is creating an opportunity for us to think outside the box, to get away from church-centered Christianity, to be Amen. in the community, there to be on the internet, be on the phones, getting with people on a deeper level, a more intimate level, a more personal level. We're sharpening new skills, we're strengthening new muscles, and that's going to translate to uh, things that we can do after this crisis is over. Uh, exactly as Lee said, thanks to Jed and Matt, we are doing more ministry on a on a wider scale with our Tuesday services than we ever could hope to have on a regular Tuesday. And in fact, the people listening to this podcast have submitted videos to that service, and you have ministered to our people. That's like an amazing full circle thing that wouldn't have happened any other way. So if you hear some people saying... I think you ought to consider maybe dying to get here and other people saying, hey, be safe, let us come to you. Start recognizing why those two different voices are coming the way they are. All excellent, excellent stuff there. Yeah, the one thing I would tackle on the end of this is is sometimes a helpful uh, exercise to uh, what people call playing something out to its logical conclusion. Uh, to basically expand. If someone's giving you something that seems reasonable, maybe expand that out and see if it, when the breaking point of that reasonableness is. So, and I say all that, say this, the idea that these guys have illuminated, which is if they're not literally saying it, they're probably heavily implying it. When they say you have to come to church out of faith and obedience is even though there's a raging pandemic, which here in the United States of America, we have done essentially nothing to get a handle on. As long as you're coming to church, Jesus won't let anything bad happen to you. (laughs) And that Mm. leads to snake handling. Yep. Because that is the exact same logic 
that, yeah, it may, may be poisonous, but if I'm filled enough with faith, this is the same line of thinking. And it is, uh, I'm sure a lot of, you know, the mainstream pastors who are kind of pitching this point would be horrified at that, but it's literally the exact same thing. Just do a super dangerous thing, but have faith and the, nothing bad will happen. That's not a, that is a heretical thought that you can't find that in the Bible, by the way. You can go looking all day, you will not find it. But we also, at the end here, want to draw a, a line. There is people who are just saying, forget it, screw it, we're going back, we're doing the thing, I want a full room to preach to, and I want money flowing into here. Mm. Um, there are people who, uh, in smaller churches, who are setting up the hand sanitizer stations and are you know, social distancing people and maybe uh, not having a choir. And that's, again, that is up to you to decide if you feel safe in that or not. But there are people who are trying to do that. Here's the, here's the interesting part about that. I would imagine, knowing a few of those uh, churches, those aren't the people who are pitching you gotta because of faith and obedience. Right. Those yeah. are people saying, we are admitting there's a risk. We're doing what we can to mitigate it. That's, That's right. what we actually feel called to do this meeting in person because we thought about it, looks like, is exactly as Glenn is saying, you can opt in or out and hear the precautions we're taking. But the idea that you just come and because it's a Jesus thing, nothing bad is going to happen to you. That is full-on prosperity gospel stuff. That is not in any way the actual gospel. And it, it is important to have a moment when you can realize that things have gone that far. All right, we're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr, and it says, We got the notice to go teach in person yesterday. I am very scared. I don't know what to do, and I know that there isn't much advice to be given at this time, but I just wanted to come and ask because I am at my wits end. Thank you for your time. And uh, an, an excellent question, and it, it ties into a lot of stuff going on in this episode. And Jed, where would we start it off? Well, we'd start it off with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. for what you're dealing with. I'm sorry for what you're facing. We're praying for you. Uh, we, we stand with you. We love you. And we respect and understand that this is an impossibly difficult situation where there are not any real easy answers. Um, and so... Again, we're sorry. We love you. We're standing with you. In terms of advice, let's start by talking about the concept of impossible situations because it is not something that Christian culture acknowledges. Um, back when Christian bookstores existed, if you can dig it, all the Christian living books that people would buy, most of them written by celebrity pastors, were all about Here's what you do with a situation to do the A-plus answer. Here's, here's how you live out A-plus Christianity when X happens, and then when Y happens, and then when Z happens. And it's kind of created an expectation that no matter what happens in life, there is a script that we can follow that will be the most Christian thing that we can say and do and feel. And so I will just do that. And then I will, I will know that I have fully Christianed it. And again, I think a lot of us who spend a lot of time around churches and Christian culture kind of have that thought in our subconscious because it is so widespread in the church. But the thing that it fails to acknowledge is that sometimes in life, and this definitely qualifies, you run into stuff where there is no script for this. There is no book that you can buy that will tell you what to do. There yeah. are no easy answers. There's not a Spurgeon sermon that breaks down the whole thing. <laughs> it's, there's not a C.S. Lewis quote that explains it away. 
it's just really, really super hard, and we don't know. And I think going back to what Matt was saying in question one, we don't know requires humility to admit. And given that it is, it can be very scary and uncomfortable, but I'd actually encourage you and and all of us to lean into the humility because I think it's going to open up the, the one thing that we can do in this situation. If we admit we don't know, then it frees us to set aside the idea that there is an A plus answer and there is a perfect script to follow. Mm. And instead to focus on five minutes at a time, being kind to yourself and extending the small mercies that you can to the people around you. Maybe those small mercies will be to people at the school that you work at. Maybe they will be to the people in your house. Maybe they'll just be to you. But five minutes at a time, we can be kind to ourselves and we can extend small mercies to those around us. The bigger realities are things that we have very, very little control over and over which there is sufficient chaos that it's hard to predict what might happen and when it might occur. If you want to be as maximally Christian as you possibly can, which I think is a lot to ask given what you're facing. I think just taking it five minutes at a time is a really, really good goal, and that's what I would encourage you to do. But if you want to be maximally Christian, then that's about looking at what do the fruits of the Spirit look like in this situation? What does love look like? What does joy look like? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control— What do those things look like in this situation? Recognizing that there's no one who can tell you an immediate ready-made answer on that. I don't know that there's anyone who can tell you what, for example, gentleness looks like in the middle of a pandemic when your job is insisting that you go back to teaching. So that's something to seek the Lord about. That's something to seek wisdom. But given that that's a hard thing to do, that goes back to humility and being kind to yourself and taking it five minutes at a time. Here's the other reason why five minutes at a time is a good thing. You can do that. You can absolutely do that. Starting right now, you can set a timer for five minutes. You can be kind to yourself and you can be kind to the people around you. When that timer goes off, you can take a deep breath and you can set another timer for five minutes. You can do that. I know you've got what it takes because I know that the Lord is with you. Man, this is – it's a hard thing. It's a hard season. There, there are not easy answers in it, but you can handle that next five minutes. The other reason I know you can handle it is because we are actively praying for you in the midst of it. We are Amen. actively lifting you up in the midst of it. Um, you, you have not only that great crowd of witnesses that's cheering you on, you have us cheering you on. We love you. Keep your head up. That is absolutely right. That is all fantastic, fantastic stuff. Lee, I'd love to get you to jump in here because uh, because of the way uh, Oak Ridge's school system works. Um, they're already starting school, and a number of people close to you are uh, involved in that process as students and educators. So what would you have to say to our friend here? Yeah, this is, a, this is really close to home for me. I mean, in our congregation, we have almost 30 educators um and uh, of course my three children are heading back to school and my wife works in the school system uh she works in an elementary school uh a scant mile and a half away from our house and their current protocol is for her to be at work every single day of the work week 
Um, I can tell you that from her experience, um, that the anticipation of being in the classroom was a hundred times worse than actually being in there. Um, mm. Our school system has taken a lot of a lot of pains to to make good protocols and a lot of uh, you know set up a good system, uh, real conscientious about how to do this well while we do it. And what Christy would tell you if you asked her one on one is that that week and a half, two weeks leading up to actually being in the classroom was the worst part. That was the, that was the hiking up Everest. That was, that was the difficult piece. And then actually being in the classroom and, and not having to deal with the anticipation, but being in there and seeing like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. These are what the protocols are. These, this is how we're going to handle this situation. This is how we're going to handle uh, the number of kids that we have in the class and the way that we're going to deal with you know, bathroom breaks or lunch or uh, assignments or all that kind of stuff. Everything became uh, more manageable when she was in the situation. I tell you that to say this. You are currently facing the scariest part of this, which is the anticipation and the unknown. When you're not there, there are a thousand boogeymen in every closet. And exactly as Jed said, we are sorry that you're facing this. We are praying for you actively. We would love to follow up with you on all of the aspects of how you're facing this. But the the encouragement that I would give you but just by living with somebody who is walking through the same situation and is maybe a week and a half or two weeks ahead of where you are right now based on our system's plan is when you get in that classroom and you face head on what you're dealing with, you're going to have a better idea of of how to do it. It, it may be that you still have questions. I'm not saying that everything's going to become clear. I'm not saying that everything's going to become simple. What I'm saying is that you have a lot of unknowns right now. When you are in the situation, the anticipation and the anxiety from that anticipation and honestly, the, uh, uh, the adrenaline from the anticipation is going to die away into the moment of, okay, this is how I get through first block and this is how we get through lunch and this is how we get through third block, et cetera, et cetera. So what I would say is hang in there, keep praying, knowing that we're praying for you, take courage and walk into that first day knowing that a lot of it is going to change once you're in the situation. And by the way, that's a common experience in the human situation, that the anxiety and the anticipation and the unknown leads to a lot of, uh, just a lot of adrenaline about what is this going to look like. And when you're in the situation that you are provided with some of the strength and the courage and the grace to to manage the situation that you're facing once you're actually there. That is really, really sharp stuff and really uh, excellent kind of firsthand perspective there. Lots of great stuff in that. And Glenn, where would we close this out? Well, I absolutely agree with the sentiments of these other fellows. Uh, our heart goes out to you, and we are praying for you. If you need more prayer, let us know. If you have more questions, let us know. And also, I think it's worth saying somewhere in here, as we take questions about the pandemic, um, you know, and just actually it's about you and how you're dealing with the pandemic, is that if the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart where it's like, you just need to stay home, mm. we've got your back on that. And That's I right. think you have to listen to that. Uh, the the you know there are guidelines and whatever and and they may be good guidelines they may be bad guidelines 
But God can give you a little nudge sometimes of just, today's not the day to go out. And let's listen to that and let, and give you give yourself permission to do that. We're giving it to you. Um, uh, and let the, let the consequences of that uh, be in God's hands. So let's give you that, that, that option. But I want to go back to what Jed was saying about having wisdom about the situation, uh, which is very tough because there's, you know, there's a real fear that's going to be present in these things. And that fear is going to sort of occupy the space where wisdom would come in mm. and give us freedom on this. And you say, well, okay, yeah, but you know, how do you not <laughs> how do you have no fear in the middle of a pandemic? That's just, you know, that's just crazy pants. So that's not a realistic thing. And I agree with that. I, I think I think it's it, it it is a battle for sure, but it is to recognize that it works the other way as well. The more wisdom comes in, it begins to push that fear to the side because we have a perspective on this. We have an understanding on it. I think part of that is recognizing that everything is a risk. Everything. Uh, there are there are dangers lurking out there that we have no way of knowing about. We just we just don't. We're not aware of uh, things that could go wrong around us. And, uh, you know, as you hear that, you can see how a paranoia could start to set in off of that. that. Just that sense of it's good to be afraid of these things because being afraid means I'm engaged and I'm concerned and I'm vigilant and I'm, you know. But, of course, in order to be vigilant and aware and safe and all those other things, you need wisdom. The fear is driving the wisdom out. So the thing you think might be helping on a certain level is actually the thing that's hurting. And, of course, fear is just draining you. If you aren't tired right now, you are a superhuman person. Fear has that way of wearing us out, and we, we've, we're all dealing with that. So if you're exhausted, it's because you're fighting off the fear. If you're not exhausted, you're in denial. It's about to really kick your butt. So uh, if you're tired, uh, yay you. But it's about recognizing everything's a risk. And the question then becomes, is this a smart risk or a dumb risk? Are we, are we taking this risk in a way that involves smart precautions, mm. uh, smart choices, and going about it in a smart way, or are we going about this in a dumb way? You know, when we uh, started doing our recording our services uh, for the Bridge Live in, our, in my basement, uh, I said uh, to Jed's wife, Hallie, uh, Hallie, you're smarter than all the rest of us on this. I'm putting you in charge. Uh, I do not trust myself. So I want you to set up a protocol for what would be safe. And then I want you to give me about a half a notch safer than that. And then whatever you tell us, that's what we're going to do. And no one's going to have any thoughts or feelings about it. We're just going to do exactly that. Uh, that's And that way we can be safe and we can be at peace about this. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to sit around and feeling like, oh, am I taking a dumb chance here? Um, I don't think our country had strong and good messaging on this thing. And that might be part of the problem here. So, uh, and recognizing that if you're doing your part in that, you are keeping yourself safe and other people safe and you're you're helping us in a way we really need, and you're a hero in that, 
And there's nothing that you need to get a, 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 that deep paranoid fear going about. That's all really fantastic stuff. I'm actually really glad that Glenn used the term hero there because we, we were talking earlier in the episode about, about the church question about manipulation. And Glenn said a very important thing on this question, which is you have to give yourself permission to not. Um, you have to kind of goes back to actually all the way to the first question about changing your thinking and the idea of options. Um, you have options here. It may not be a great option. You, you know, we all need our jobs and all that stuff. But here's the thing. Uh, you definitely don't want to let the message that because of policy failures from uh, the federal government, possibly on down to your own school board. I don't know where you live. I don't know uh, what your school board's like, but let's say that they're not doing things they should do. Um, that does not fall to you as the individual teacher to uh, take one for the team and be in the classroom with the kids uh, to make up for all those other people either punting or failing to come up with a smart plan. So uh, we definitely want to underline that that is a, a fully respectable and understandable position. Now, as these guys mentioned, if you decide and pray up and uh, re- as we know a lot of educators in this show and they're not in it for the fame or the money, they, they're in it because they really love what they do and we respect the heck out of that. It's also important not to just give in to the doom spiral uh, yeah. of assuming because this is a dangerous thing you are doing that you, ha- that we should just go into it with reckless abandon. Um, you know, it's about making smart decisions and being vigilant, kind of everything we know as uh, things that hold this virus at bay is about little things you do uh, 20 times a day. And if you're in charge of a bunch of humans who, you know, aren't so great at uh, doing re- repeatable tasks, you know, you're, you're going to be in charge of that. So you have some, a level of agency on that, that you can keep your head up. And that comes from starting with that place of hope. And that comes from really taking the time to think about it, to pray about it and decide to be in it or not. And either way, as these guys have mentioned, we have got your back. We are going to take you out with a song after I give you the ways you can get in touch with this, which is the thing I do first. I've been hosting this show for some eight years now. You can get to us at podcast gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumble.com. You can also scroll down in your episode description, click those links there. You can of course join us every Tuesday at seven thirty central time, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago for the live bridge cast. You can also sign up for bridge box at missionusa.com slash bridge. Dr. Taylor song this week. This is a track from Lee from last month's bridge box summer mixtape, which is fully Ooh. available for free you can find that link on our facebook page this is called rescue me take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it the say that podcast my handbell choir brings all the teens to the yard does that even (laughs) sound right (laughs) i can't make it alone i can't pull myself through come and make me your own don't want to live without you And I can't make myself clean And I can't make myself new But Jesus, Lord, I believe I don't want to live without you Lord, all I need Is you to rescue me Lord, all I need is you to rescue me. Well, 
I can't heal all this pain No, I don't know what to do But you bore my hurt and shame So I don't want to live without you And I can't make myself strong No, I could never be true But weakness makes me belong I live my life with you And Lord, all I need Is you to rescue me Lord, all I need Is you to rescue me Lord, all I need Is you to rescue me Lord, all I need is you to rescue me.